Pastor Xavier Rees says the simple truth in doing God's will is first to know God's will. Paul was chosen to know God's will. God has called you and chosen you to know His will. Listen to me. His will is found in the Word of God. Too many Christians are looking for the will of God and experience and emotions and gut feelings. Listen to me. It's in the book. His will is found in His Word. You need to be a man and a woman of the Word of God. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. I tell the truth in Christ, I am not lying, my conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Spirit, that I have great sorrow and continual grief in my heart, for I could wish that I myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my countrymen. This selfless sentiment from the Apostle Paul from Romans 9 concerning Israel's rejection of Christ was demonstrated in dramatic fashion before an angry Jerusalem Jewish mob. And although Paul's message wasn't quite taken to heart by the Jews, the circumstance provided an important simple truth God had for the heart of Paul in ministry. Pastor Xavier begins with the text for our study. Acts chapter 22, verses 1 through 29. The message entitled... Paul's shattered dream. Paul, having left the Ephesian elders, now returns to Jerusalem with the financial gift to the poor saints, only to be accused by some Jews from Asia that he had brought Gentiles into the temple and it nearly resulted in the taking of his life. Paul's defense before the Jewish mob here consists in three movements. The first one is found in verse 1 through 5, the recollection of his life before Christ. Secondly, we have the revelation of his life encounter with Christ, verse 6 to 21. And then we have the rejection of his life desire in Christ, verse 22 to 29. Look at verse 1. The threefold salutation was a form of respect and technical way of addressing an accusation, similar to that that we find in Stephen in chapter 7, verse 2 of Acts. Men refers to the proselytes present. Brethren to the Jews, fathers to the elders and teachers. And the word defense, apologia, we get our word apology from, but it doesn't mean I'm sorry. It means to make a defense, to give an explanation why it is that you believe. He's going to lay out his faith in the Messiah, Jesus Christ. The language, notice, is Hebrew. When they heard this man speak in Hebrew, they became silent. He says he was a Jew by birth. He was born in the city of Tarsus, Cilicia, where he, one of the greatest universities of, uh, in the city there of the ancient world. He was educated to feed Gamaliel, the top teacher. Now, he goes on to tell him, I'm a Pharisee. So he's identifying with them. I'm a Pharisee, the strictest of the sect. Verse 4 and 5, notice the conduct of Paul against Christians was also uncompromising. He bound, delivered them, he says, for incarceration, both men and women. So he, he, he didn't care who you were. The man was, was just passionate, striving against the Christian faith. He pointed out that the high priest also, the council and the elders, they could be witness for him as to his zeal, the letters they gave to him to bring back those in Damascus and chains and to be punished. He was ruthless. Christian persecution then he moved into the revelation of his encounter with Christ, verse 6 through 21. 
In verse 16, the persecutor of Christians was near the city of Damascus, as he tells us, and he heard a voice with understanding, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Saul asked, who are you, Lord? Jesus reveals himself as Jesus of Nazareth, whom he was persecuting. The immediate repentance of Saul occurred, submitting his life to Jesus. What should I do, Lord? To go to Damascus, he would be told all things appointed for him to do. All things that God already had. God has things for you from the day that you were born again. Now your responsibility is to walk, to seek him every day. Lord, what would you have me to do? Direct, guide me. Let me yield. Verse 12 through 16, he moves to this commission. The commission of Paul was by Jesus, but confirmed through Ananias. A devout Jew according to the law, he says. Good testimony among all the Jews in Damascus. And the man Ananias proclaimed God's message to Paul, which was threefold in verse 14. Paul was chosen to know God's will. This is the primary and foundational thing God has called you and chosen you to know his will. Listen to me. His will is found in the word of God. His will is not like an Easter egg hunt. You're getting warmer. You're getting warmer. Too many Christians are looking for the will of God and experience and emotions and and, and happenstance and gut feelings. Listen to me. It's in the book, in the word of God. His will is found in his word. You need to be a man and a woman of the word of God. Secondly, Paul was chosen to see the just one. References to Jesus appearing six times in this way in the New Testament. And then Paul was chosen to hear the voice of God. The word there chosen means appointed, found two times here in the New Testament. Acts 9.15 and 26.16, and this is the third one. Chosen. Not because I'm good, not because God knew what a great price I was going to be, but because he loves me, you understand? That's all. Look at 15. He's got their attention. The man Ananias said to Paul, he was chosen to be the Lord's witness to all men about what he had seen and heard. God is very practical, what you see and what you hear. And you work out the supernatural in the most natural way in life. Too many Christians make our Christian life too mystical, too difficult. The man Ananias baptized Paul in water. A public confession, verse 16. Now why are you waiting? He prompts him to move. In verse 17, Paul came to Jerusalem after he fled from Damascus, you know, being under much suspicion of the disciples, thinking he was an undercover Pharisee. Yet Barnabas took a chance, embraced him, and brought him to the others. And, you know, he was there in the temple praying, and he fell into a trance, he says. And he says in verse 18 that Jesus told him to leave, for the Jews would not receive his testimony concerning Jesus. This is the test of your life and mine so often. Will I believe Jesus when he says, don't go there? It's not going to work. But see, we've got it so wide. Oh, no, it's almost, I, I, I can see it. It's, 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 it's almost reachable. And, you know, and we're so dead set. And it looks so good from the human perspective. And Jesus says, don't go there. Paul argued with the Lord, he tells him, about two undeniable facts that he felt would persuade the Jews. I mean, he's telling them this. 19 saw persecuted Christians in every synagogue, literally synagogue by synagogue. He beat them and imprisoned them. So they're still listening. In verse 20, Saul was consenting to the death of Stephen. They knew this. Historical as a record, they had it. 
And Saul emphasized here the violence of his death by the phrase, the blood of the martyr Stephen was shed. Saul was standing, consenting to his death. Saul was guarding the clothes of those who stoned him. The parallel passage in Acts 7.58 verifies this. Saul was told by Jesus to depart them, for he would send him far from there to the Gentiles. The Hellenists, as you know, plotted to kill Paul when he came those 15 days to Jerusalem in Acts 9, 29 through 30. They couldn't handle him, so the disciples took him to Caesarea. From there, sent him up to Tarsus. He remained there preaching Christ for several years, some think maybe seven to ten years. I don't think it's that long, probably five to six years, but that's another matter. And there, the churches were, were just receiving this news, never seeing Paul's face, and they were glorifying God. Incredible work. Uh, Paul wasn't interested in being with the big five. He was just interested in doing the will of God. He would go on three missionary journeys in Acts 13 on the 19. God would use him tremendously as he came down to Antioch, as, as Barnabas brought him down. This was Paul's life desire. I, I must be able to share with those in Jerusalem. They will, be, I, I, I know, Jesus says, you don't understand, Paul. I, I can do it. Okay. Two infidels, one sat on a railroad train discussing the life of Christ. One of them said, I think an interesting romance could be written about him, speaking of Christ. The other replied, and you are just the man to write it. Tear down the prevailing sentiments about his divinity and paint him as a man, a man among men. The suggestion was acted upon in the romance written. The man who made the suggestion was Colonel Ingersoll, the noted atheist. The writer was General Lou Wallace, and the book was called Ben-Hur. In the process of constructing the life of Christ, General Wallace found himself facing the greatest life ever lived on earth. The more he studied, the more he was convinced Christ was more than a man. Until one day, he was forced to cry out, Verily, this was the Son of of God. Interesting. The encounter of a man and woman with Christ is going to be a life-changing experience like no other. Regardless of what we have experienced in life or what we've been involved in life. Regardless of what we have committed in life or not committed in life. Regardless of who has used us or abused us. For Christ did not put any conditional clause on being forgiven, cleansed, and be made a new creature. The only condition was repentance by faith and grace through Jesus Christ. You understand? Second Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. New, kainos, new in kind. All things pass away. Behold, all things become new. He will direct and guide your life in Christ in order to use you in service. And God will use people as an example for that. Yet Christ will be personal and your call will be unique and be enabled by Jesus Christ. He will use men. They'll direct, guide you, pray for you, help you. The example will be there, but Christ will be directing as you grow in the word of God, as you're hearing his voice, as you're making yourself available. The opportunities to share with those you think will accept your testimony will at times be thwarted by the Lord till the right time. You remember Moses? Moses missed it by 40 years. You talk about missing the boat. 
40 years. Because of course, he was raised in all the wisdom of Egypt. I'm ready. I'm the next to get on the throne. God says, I can't use you right now, Mo. I got to take you out in the desert for 40 years to show you're nothing. And then I may be able to use you. Paul's time to share with Nero did not come till two years after house arrest. Because God had to prepare Paul's heart and Nero's heart at the same time. You understand? Isaiah 55, 89 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than yours, and my thoughts than your thoughts. I always have to say, Lord, let me be sensitive to you. Don't let me fight against you. Don't let me be so set that I'm going to go that way no matter what. The revelation of his encounter with Christ was life transforming. Now, he still has them. I believe Paul says, man, they're almost there. But then we have the rejection of his life desiring Christ in verse 22 through 29. 22 and 23, the Jews confirm the words of Jesus 20-some years later. Listen, they gave him attention to these words that Jesus sent him to the Gentile. One word. He was feeling so good, all those words. One word, Gentile. They went postal. Crazy. They raised their voice, declaring that he was not fit to live, literally not permitted to live so long. Lenski, the Greek scholar, paraphrases the passage like this. He should not have been permitted to live so long, should have been removed from the earth long ago. They hated this guy. This final word of Paul proved to him once and for all that God had told him truth and what he had told him 20 years ago. They would not receive his testimony. They were violently demonstrative now in their anger, desiring to kill Paul in 23. They cried out, implying loud shouts in protest, and they tore off their clothes, showing their anguish, their garments. They're not streaking or nothing, just garments. They threw dust into the air, evidence of their grief. They hated this guy. And then notice when you come to verse 24 to 26, the commander assumes Paul as the culprit. It's just logical sense. And so in verse 24, the commander ordered Paul to be brought and to be shackled and to be examined under scourging to know why they shouted so against him. The Roman government often obtained testimony of confessions by this torture. The process was of scourging involved a leather whip with bones and metal pieces at the end. And they, when they hit uh, 13 on one side, 13 on the other, 13 across the top on both of them, 39, it would just tear your, your, your meat and pull out flesh and tendons and all of that. Now, Paul had received five times 39 lashes by the Jews and um, three times beaten with rods by the Romans. But he, this was far more than he wanted to experience. This is brutal. He gives us those accounts of his uh, misfortunes in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, 24 and 25. This was done to extract information from prisoners. And, and let me tell you, when, when they received that, they confessed the things they never did. Most of them died. Jesus was scourged this very way, John 19, 1. Notice in verse 25, the soldiers about to carry the orders out, stretching Paul over a low pillar to whip him, he pulled out his Roman passport. He said to the centurion, is it lawful for you to scourge a Roman and uncondemned? Roman is bad enough. A man who's a Roman, but uncondemned? It was unlawful to touch a Roman citizen. 
without a trial, as you know. The consequences were severe, life-threatening. He didn't use it at Philippi, remember? Because God had another direction. There was a jailer. There was a demon-possessed girl. There was a family. There was different things. Paul was willing to submit himself to the Lord's will, even in those areas. Now, God is concerned with his safety. God has promised he's going to get him to Rome. God intervenes here. Through normal, practical wisdom of decisions. You understand? Look at 26. The commander was then warned by the centurion that Paul was a Roman citizen. The centurion, knowing the severity of their actions, immediately went and told the commander. He gave a warning. When this centurion came, he didn't come and say, Hey, um, take care of what you do. Um, this man's a Roman. He came, his eyes were bugging Now He says, take care of what you do. This man's a Roman. He knows. This. These are Roman soldiers. They didn't cower. They weren't afraid. But when they heard he was a Roman and uncondemned, they freaked out. Look at 27 through 29. The apostle Paul affirmed his Roman citizen. Are you a Roman? Paul says, yes. And then the commander here in 28 could have been answering cynically at this point with words implying that his citizenship had become common. With a large sum, I obtained my freedom because Emperor Claudius and his wife, uh, Masalina, had made a citizenship available for large suitable amounts of money. And so I paid a lot of money for mine. Paul responded, I was born a citizen. Whoa. This freaked him out even more. Those who were about to examine Paul withdrew from him immediately. And the commander was also afraid after he found out that he was a Roman. And because he had bound him. Paul used his political clout here. I can't help. I like Paul because he's human like us. I, I can't help that he uses political clout to kind of just roast him a little bit over the fire, freak them out. I mean, he has the promise of God he's going to, to, to Rome already. He pulled out his passport, and he's uncondemned. So I can't help that he has a little good time with these guys here. Because they bound him being uncondemned, they could be subject to the very same thing. These guys are freaking out. You remember David? David long a desire to build a temple for God. And yet Nathan came to him and, and, and said, you know, David, do whatever you want. And then as Nathan was leaving, God told Nathan, you go back and tell David he can't do it because he's a man of war and blood. But you go back and tell him that I'm going to build him a house and his son's going to sit on the throne. And when Nathan came to David, David didn't get all blown away. He just sat and he was just in admiration of God and says, who am I that God should build me a house? He was willing to give up that thing that was a master passion of his life for the will of God and the direction of God. But he didn't get to build it. But that was okay with him. How is it with you? If God says no to you in something, God will at times, directly or indirectly, allow your life dream to be shattered. Will it cause you to become bitter and different towards God? What if you're wife or husband become unfaithful to you? Will you walk away from God? Will you blame God? What if your job is lost, something you work for and plan for and long for all your life? Will you trust God and know he has something else? 
What if you never get to go to school where you want to go or be an athlete or whatever it may be? Are you willing to give that up? I hope so. Psalm 32, 8 says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. Listen very carefully. I will guide you with my eye. God will allow your own personal efforts to fail, to make you know that he alone saves, even though he will use the circumstances and other things. Listen to Paul, Philippians 3, 7 through 12. But what things were gained to me? These I have counted lost for Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Jesus Christ my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his suffering, being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead, not that I have already attained or I'm already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold on me. Contentment with an open heart to be directed and guided with great expectation. You understand? Not indifference. God will show you and myself how resourceful he can be in our lives if we will let him. There's the question. Jesus made it very clear, and he just summarized it in a, in a very picturesque form, but he makes the application himself. In John 15, 4 and 5, he says, Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Very clear imagery. We understand the dynamics. Neither can you, he makes application, unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me, he interprets the whole passage, you can do nothing. Until you and I are thoroughly convinced that that is an absolute truth, I will not stop depending on myself. I will always think that I just have the upper hand on God in certain situations. The rejection of his desire in Christ was the Jew's salvation. Nothing wrong with that. But Paul didn't save. God does. The desire doesn't come from us, ladies and gentlemen. It comes from the Lord. And it's up to him. He looks at the heart to see if that person's open. He shortchanges no one. And so Paul's defense before the Jewish mob here consisted of these three movements. Shattering his lifelong dream. The recollection of his life before Christ was Christian persecution. Oh, they were, they were attentive, silent, taking it all in. The revelation of his life encounter with Christ was a transformation. They kind of listening but trying to think through this thing. And then the rejection of his life desire in Christ was the Jewish salvation. But it brought Paul in preparation for what God had. All right, Lord, I get the message. What do you have next? They're not going to receive my testimony. Wow. Hmm. Paul shattered dream. What's yours? What is it that you think you know better than God? 
It's a dangerous place to be. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. Pastor Xavier Reese illustrating in today's Simple Truth study of Paul's defense before the crowd at Jerusalem that without Christ we can, in fact, do nothing. And with just enough time before we close for today, let me mention that copies of today's study titled Paul's Shattered Dream are available on CD for just $4. And this will also include everything Pastor Xavier shared the last time we were together as well. So once again, the title to ask for is Paul's Shattered Dream, or simply mention today's date. You can request your copy by writing Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And thanks for mentioning the call letters of this station when you get in touch. This helps us track the effectiveness of this ministry in your area. And then be back for more Simple Truths right here next time with Pastor Xavier Reese. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California www.calvarychapelpasadena.com